So good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Today, the focus of today is Seder and Yom Seder. The point over here is not a magnificent edifice of one huge shear which you'll come out and you'll say, wow, that was very impressive, and now I don't even know how to start explaining that to anybody else. The point of today is to come, come away with some very specific ideas. We're going to try to cover six to seven ideas today, um, which I am hopefully you can walk away with. You can, you can say, you can relate to your Seder and enhance your Seder. So every year it's going to be different ideas. We're going to go through different, um, different ways of looking at things as we go through the Seder. Um, I, there are no source sheets on this one, but the slideshow is going to be available. I'm going to send it out after the share and it'll be available online for the download. So anybody is welcome to, uh, to use it in that way. Um, and... <laughs> And the Seder app will, <laughs> no, but uh, if you want to review the, the, the sources that are on the PowerPoint will be available. And if you need any specifics, please reach out to me. I can send you the bigger, the bigger sense of it. So the first thing I'd like to concentrate on is the following. We're told, uh, we're told the following, the role of questions. The Rambam says the following. He says, what Tzorich, this is the Rambam in Hilchos Chavet Zomatz. He says, what Tzorich la'asos shinui balayla hazeh, k'day shiyiru habadim. The Rama says that a person needs to make distinctions, make things different this night. Shuffle it up a little bit in order that the children should see. And they should ask. So therefore they should ask, why is this night different to all other nights? And then you say, well, this is what happened. This is what the past was. This is what occurred in those days. And you explain to them. You need to get them to ask, to ask questions. Um, I remember that uh, they, they say about Rabbi Jonathan Sachs that when he came in before the Queen to be knighted, so she, she, she asked him the question, what is the why is this knight different to all others? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know if that was, I don't know if that's exactly what we expected to be getting at at the Seder. But, the Rambam says this, and what I find so fascinating is, is that you know, any time we're stumped by a question, Right, we say it's so the kids can ask. Right, it's, a, it's the last. Right, you know, it's like they ask some sort of complicated philosophical philosophical question. You're like, You know, it's all in order for the kids to ask. It happens to be that there are a lot of questions which we try, which we try to stimulate, which are only seem to be for the point of questioning, because the Gemara doesn't supply the answers in a lot of cases. Let's take that a little further. The case of the How do you make it different? Right, you give them. Nuts. This is the days before peanut allergies. So you give them. Um, you uh, they're, they're, I think roasted nuts yeah. and uh, and regular nuts and meaning it's the equivalent of candy. And they're like, well, what's going on, Dad? You know, usually it's not uh, not happening at the at the table. You take away the sh the table from in front of them. And you switch the matzah from hand to hand. And all these kind of unusual things, and we've developed our own uh, great, uh, great systems to make this more exciting. This is the interesting part. What happens if you don't have a child? So the interchange is done between husband and wife. What happens if, if a person is not, um, is not living a, with a spouse at that point in time? They one asks one another. All the people in that meal ask one another. Even if they're all wise, even in that case then, even if you're alone, you start asking to yourself. You hope nobody's looking, you know, you know, you know, you know, nobody's taking notes, you know, but in the end of the day, the Rambam says a very interesting thing is that one needs to be asking oneself. So what you see here is an interesting thing, is more important than the periods, or we would say the full stops, are the question marks. 
Uh, interesting meaning to say the information is less important than the conveying of the information. And the reason that is, is because certainly today, in the, the age and era that we live, we have lots of information. If you wanted to know about any particular subject, you could find it out within five minutes. You really could. But you know why most people don't know about things? It's because they're not interested enough to take the time to do that. You could pull out your phone one moment and Google anything. <coughs> you could find out almost anything available. The reason why we don't all the time is because most of us have got so much going on that it's not on the, our sphere of interest or attention for, for uh, that particular moment. Says the Rambam, the most important thing about the Seder is the educational process. It's not about conveying information, it's about conveying interest. Once you have interest, anything can be conveyed. You need to stimulate interest. In fact, this is, the, this is a quotation, a very famous quotation from Isidore Isaac Ra, a rabbi, who was a uh, Polish, one well, later American Nobel laureate um, Nobel physicist, Greece. and he says, and he says the following: He says, "My mother made me a scientist without even knowing it. Hmm. Every other child would come home from school and be asked, "What did you learn today?" My mother used to ask me a different question. Easy, she always used to say, "Did you ask a good question today?" That made the difference. Meaning, the point is, it's not the information. The point is, are you interested? Are you stimulated? Is there something worthwhile asking about? So the Seder has so many times where it says, Kadeshi Yishala Tunokas, and we say, oh, what's the point of that if we don't have an answer? The point is the question in and of itself. that even if one is alone, it's necessary to be able to ask. That's, that's an introduction to the evening, the, the notion of questioning. Let's take it a little further. The need for contrast. The need for contrast. No, the Mishnah tells us that, Maschinin Bignusim and Musaim B'Sheva. The Mishnah tells us that you need to start with the Gnus the negative past, and then we need to end up in the, you know, the, the, the clouds open, the rainbow shines, the music switches on, everything is fine and dandy. But we start off with our humble beginnings, and there's a machlokas, as we know, as to whether those humble beginnings are physical, servitude, or whether it's actually spiritual. Fine, fantastic, wonderful. Just to appreciate this, educationally, you know, today in the, in, you know, the, in the 21st century, we've developed all these tools, and over the last 50 years, we've had an extreme <coughs> focus on ed education. But Chazal understood, and Chazal understood education to a fine degree because our nation is built on education. And one of the tools they use is this notion of contrast. There's a famous story, which is, um, which is, um, which is in the book, there's a book called uh, um, To Sell is Human by, da by Daniel Pick. And he has a story in the, in the book where there was a fellow who was there walking through a park, and there was a fellow who was a blind person. I'm sure many of you know the story, and, he, and he's sitting there, and there's a sign over there, and the, and the sign says the following. The sign says, I am blind. And he's sitting there, and people are walking by, and most people are, you know, trying to ignore him as they walk by in a hurried rate. And one of the executives he's walking with turns to the, turns to the blind man and says, would you mind if I added three words to your sign? So the man says, well, you know, I've got nothing to lose. It's not as if business is coming in very fast. So he wrote the following three words. And he wrote those words, and then what happened was, is the blind man sitting there, and for the rest of the day, money keeps coming in. He has coins, he has notes, he has people taking change. That's a good sign, right? He has people taking change, and at the end of the day, he, he turns to somebody who's walking by and he says, would you mind just reading me what's written on the sign? Something, those three words must have done a huge, uh, must have made a huge impact. And he turns around, and the man reads in the sign, and the sign says the following. The sign says, it's springtime and I'm blind. And suddenly people started thinking, why? What's the point? 
The point is, is that when people got the sense of contrast, they're walking through the park and it's a beautiful day, and they see, they see the blue skies, they see the clouds going through them, they see the beautiful trees as their bright green new leaves are blooming and the blossoms are falling. And then they see this man now, who's blind, who's not able to appreciate that. That gave them the sense of, they, uh, the sense of empathy. That gave them the sense of wanting to be part of this. Why? Because they had the sense of contrast. Say Chazal, in the almost opposite way. You can't just walk into the Seder and say, well, you know what? It, we, we were saved by God. In order to be able to appreciate, you need to understand exactly what we're doing. We need to taste the bitter herbs. We need to see the mortar of the Chairoises. We need to experience what it was, and then we can say, ah, oh, now we understand. In order to be able to get there, you need to be able to have the contrast. The value of contrast, which is, which is so important over here as an educational tool. We've just seen these two, two ideas in terms of both the notion of questions and the notion of contrast. Let's take it a little further. There's a very famous question which is asked by everybody and their brother. Why it is that Magid doesn't have a bracha? Why is it that Magid doesn't have a bracha? I have to just stop to, at this moment just to uh, say that today's shir is sponsored as a happy birthday for David Levy. For, in honor of his wife, we just had his birthday this week. And we wish you many happy, happy returns. And, and thank you for being a constant in our shir. And we look forward to celebrating with you many, many, many more years in good health. We'll leave us singing until afterwards. So, everybody asks the question, why is it? There's no brach on Magid. Right, this is, this is, this is, there is a mitzvah, the Torah tells us, The Torah tells us explicitly, there's no going around us. And nevertheless, you don't say a bracha. And everybody asks the question, why it is. There's many very fascinating answers as why it is, why, why not. The Sfast Emes says something most unusual. I hadn't come across it until this year. He says, the reason is, is because it's like a birkas ben odom lechavera. It's like the bracha one would say, between, uh, of, a, of a mitzvah which relates to different people, uh, um, uh, between actions between different people. Have you ever noticed that you never ever say a bracha on, let's say it's tzedakah. You don't say a bracha on chesed, right? You don't, you, these are important mitzvahs. You don't say a, mitzvah, a, a bracha on vaftalarecha kamacha. When it comes to interacting with our fellows, we don't say a bracha. We usually only say a bracha when it comes to something we enjoy, or when it comes to a birkasa mitzvah, where it relates to something which is our relationship with God. But it doesn't, we don't have it in the realm of Ben Olam Lachavera. So it says the same, it's the same, it's the same reason. Now, why? Let's, let's, let's take a step backwards. What, why? What's, what's unusual about Ben Olam Lachavera? What, what's special about Ben Olam Lachavera? That doesn't necessitate a bracha in the first place. Famous answer by the Rashba, the Shivas Rashba says, anybody familiar? What's, what, what's the reason why there's no Ben Olam Lachavera, the Rashba says? Not quantifiable. Well, and it's not about quantifiable, but it's, it's, not, it's not in your control. That's the, the way the Rashba understands it. Let's say you say a bracha, and you say the bracha, and you give the poor man the money, and he throws it on the ground and walks off. What are you going to do? You're not in control of the mitzvah. When there's another person, there's another factor in the equation, you don't have full control of all the, of, of all the variables. Because it's relating to another person, says the Rashba. That's, that's the reason why there's no bracha on a ben However, says the Sasemis, no, it's deeper than that. It's more fundamental. The Rashbaz is a technicality. The Sasemis says the reason is simple. Is let's imagine a world in which there weren't Torah. Let's imagine a world in which we weren't, weren't commanded. So let's take it back to pre-Matan Torah. Was there an obligation 
to be a good Samaritan, that's a very bad term. But let, let's, let's, was there was an obligation to be good to people, to honor parents? And the answer is, there were certain things which were fundamentally, morally necessary. If you were to sit there and philosophize, you would come up with them. And in fact, a number of the philosophers do. They come up with slightly different utilitarianism, you know, the critique of pure, pure reason. There are many different ways of getting there, but in the end of the day, some form of morality has to exist based on simply in a pretoria existence. It says the Stasemis, therefore, there's no brach on it. Because Hashem created the world in such a way that there's certain logical constraints. Honoring parents is. Honoring parents is. We do it now. Why? Because Hashem commanded. But that was there. That was necessary. Hashem put it in creation. That there's a natural feeling that humanity feels. They feel indebted when giving, get, receiving something from somebody else. There's a natural feeling that we want to protect others. Those things we saw in Zabrachad because they are, they are logical. They are mishpatim. Says the Sfas Emes. That's what's going on at the Seder. At the Seder over here, when we're experiencing this, and, and as we're pointing out, it's not about going back to history. History is linear. Le uh, history, you have to go back 3,000 years and say, you know, what happened then and try to remember the details. When it comes to, when it comes to the Seder, we're going back to the cycle. The way that uh, I heard this once described is that the Jewish year is, is like a 365, or 354 actually, um, 354 elevator shafts. And if you imagine in a building, you have a large building and you have all these different shafts and elevators. So day one of creation was the first of, t oh, well, day one of creation for humanity was the first of Tishrei. So the next year round on the first of Tishrei, it's the same shaft, just one floor up. So that means to say that when, we, when we're on Pesach, we're essentially now 5,775 floor, on the 5,775th floor of the same elevator shaft, meaning there's the same aura that's existing in that day. It's not that we're going back in history. We're experiencing the same thing if we can tap into the aura, into the, we'll call it the scent, into the, 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 the expression of that particular elevator that we're in at that time. If we're doing that, then we're saying, wait a second, God did so much for us. Thanking Him is not going to require bracha. It's so obvious. It's basic humanity to say thank you. It's basic humanity to appreciate what Hashem did for us on that night. Says the Sassam is therefore no bracha. Takes a, a bit of a different, <coughs> takes a bit of a different perspective because in, in the end of the day, you're not being a great person by saying thank you. You're being a normal person by saying thank you, says the Sassamis. Because it is only human to respond to Agarish Baruch by thanking him that evening. Unbelievable thought. Very interesting pathway in. Idea number three. Let's take it to idea number four. Karpas. Right, Karpas is wonderful, and why do we do it? What's the Gemara say? Brilliant. Right, so the children should ask. <laughs> so we should end right here, right? But as it happens, that um, there's a little bit more to it. There's a little bit more to, to Karpas. And um, it's, it's obvious that there's obviously symbolism, the different vegetables that, that, that go in. I know that, uh, I think I've heard, in fact, in the name of, uh, I think that Rabbi Tites used to use a banana. Uh, maybe use a banana, but because um, <laughs> <laughs> he used it particularly, uh, maybe he used it particularly to show that there was a bracha. The bracha, the bracha was um, a, a dama. Many people right. have different minagim as to what to use: radishes and parsley and potatoes and all wonderful kinds of things. In the end of the day, we're dipping it into salt water. What is going on over here? So there's a um, there's a fascinating Gemara in Pesach. The Gemara says like this: The Gemara, this is the end of the parak. The Gemara says, Tana kol echad ve'echad noisen pischal ba'oyroi u'mafshil la'acharav. So the, the Gemara says that every person were to take their, their Pesach and they were, to, they were in its skin and they would put it on their back. They would carry their Pesach, their Koran Pesach on their back 
And the Gemara would say, Omer Rav Ilish Tayos. Rav Ilish would say, like Tayos. Okay? What are Tayos exactly? Rashi says, Tayos Derech Sochrid Nishma'elim Huzeh. It's the way of, um, of Arab salesmen. That would, that's the way they would, they would carry their wares, they would walk around with it on their back. Now, the problem is, is let's, let's review for a moment. Who, who, were our, who were the aggressors? Who were the antagonists in the Egypt, in Egyptian story? They were Egyptians. Now, Egyptians and Ishmaelites, today you might say the lines are blurred. In those days, they were actually different <coughs> families. Ishmael is a son of Abraham, and Mitzrayim is the son of a completely different side of the family. Mitzrayim is the son of, of Ham, right? He's one of the children of, of Ham, completely different, a different side of the family. So, meaning this is the wrong story over here. It sounds like symb symb uh, symbolically we're carrying our Pesach on our back in order to be able to commemorate the... Arabs, but they, they, they weren't part of the story. We had different, we had different problems in those days. Um, oh, so, oh, so fantastic. So, so what happens is, is that Barbara Nell says what? Oh, so Barbara Nell says that, you know what? Fascinatingly enough, that Barbara Nell says, of course they're part of the story. You just need to have a bit of perspective. Because in the end of the day, how was it that we actually got down to Mitzrayim? Yosef. Was because of Yosef. Why did Yosef get down to Mitzrayim? Because he was sold by his brothers by... Initially, initially, now it was interesting, there's an interchange between who the, the, the merchants were at the end, but be it as a main, he was sold out. Now, Barbara now goes so far as to say that, in fact, the whole of Golis Mitzrayim was a punishment for Mechiras Yosef. And he goes and he starts paralleling all ideas. He says, you know, the fact that, we, that the, the Jewish babies were thrown into the river was as, a, was as a punishment because Yosef was thrown into the pit. The fact that Yosef was sold into slavery into Egypt was the fact that they were sold into slavery in Egypt. He goes, he, he goes further. He says, because, that, because Yosef was, set, was, was started off his journey by searching for sheep, therefore, when they were searching for, for sheep or the sustenance, that's when they got, they, they got taken down. And um, therefore, he says, there's, a, there's a, no, a number of various, various parallels that he brings, and um, that's why the, the shechita of the sheep is almost like the, at the end, when the Koran Pesach is shechted, is like what they did to him, that they shechted those goats when dipping his, his coats in blood, says the Babylon. He goes to, he has an extremely long description of how that all started. And if you think about it, really, you know, on a micro level, that's really where it began. So what, what, what happens? The Gemara says, you know what? When they come out of Mitzrayim, they put their Pesach on their back because we're commemorating the fact of how it all started, where it all came from. But it goes further. <laughs> Rabbeinu Manoach, who is one of the earliest commentators, one of the many commentators on the Rambam, says the following. He says that, you know why it is that we do Karpas? Coming back to, uh, to us, what's this connected? He says, Karpas is to, is to remind us about the dipping of the coat of Yosef. The coat of Yosef. What happened to the coat of Yosef? It was stripped from him and it was dipped in blood. So, so what, meaning, he has a vegetable and salt water and he has... The coat and the blood. So, you know, we have, we're struggling to make the, uh, to make the connection. What, what does Rashi say? Oh, so it could be the tears, the tears of Yaakov Avinu, but even if you want to take a little further. Rashi, in the beginning of Pashas Vayeshev, says, when you're talking about the coat of Yosef, it talks about how the son is pasim. What does the word pasim mean? So one of the explanations that Rashi gives is that it is the close of the nobility. Why? How do you know that? Because it says, the translation of the word pasim is the word karpas. The clothes of nobility that Mordechai wore were karpas and techeles. And therefore, says, says Rashi, what was Yosef wearing? He was wearing the cloak of 
Carapace. So what are we doing essentially? We're taking, if you think about it, you're taking the, sim the symbol symbolism of the coat of Yosef, the many color coats, and you're putting it into the tears to remind ourselves how we got there. Now, but if you want to take it one step further, you want to, you want to push, the, push the idea even further than where it is right now. Let's, let's, let's think about it from this perspective. In the end of the day, there was a contract signed and sealed already that Israel was going down to Egypt, right? We know that. Avram was told by the Brisbane Abbasarim, this is the end of the day, you're going to be going down to Mitzrayim. There's no arguing about that. So how, how can the Abbasarim blame the, the brothers of Yaakov? Right? This sounds, sounds similar to how can we blame Paro for enslaving a nation when in the end of the day, it was pre-decreed. You have always, in, certainly in the Yetzirah Mitzrayim, we have a very big, we, we have a problem of the philosophical balance between Hashem's plan and, and people's actions within that, right? The fact that people took initiative and were held responsible even though they were part of the divine plan. Very hard, very hard thing to balance. So Nathan Lopez Cordoza says a very interesting thing. That's why we put it at the beginning of the Seder, because just like we're about to describe the beginning of, what's, uh, of, of the Golos, of the servitude, we put it there, but it's, it's actually hidden. Meaning, up till now, and certainly for me, I didn't notice that. Up till now, it was just the potato and the salt water. The point is, is that it's hidden because if you were to investigate, you would say, yes, you know what, that's how it all started. Where did the Avodim Ayuno actually start from? It started five minutes ago in the Karpas, the dipping of the coats. <coughs> but it's there because it's not obvious. You have to look into history sometimes to be able to see, yes, there was a plan, and that's what would have happened anyway. But if you look carefully, then you notice that there was a coat at the beginning. If you look carefully, you notice that there was a cause. We were actually responsible for it. That's why it's at the beginning, but it's in, a, it's in innuendo. It's, a, it's hidden. It's not clear to us because that's exactly the way it happened. Only looking back at history do we have the perspective of being able to realize what was actually going on. Very, very fascinating. And I think the, the way it is couched symbolizes exactly the power of what, it's, what it is actually conveying to us itself. Very, very fascinating um, notion within Karpas. It also sort of should put a pause in our Seder and make us think, you know, so then in the end of the day, so what causes Goddess then? Right, so at some point in time, meaning what, what caused all of this is, is when we just couldn't get along. And not that we couldn't get along, we couldn't get along to the point that we had to throw our, throw our brother into slavery. That's uh, something which, which should take, take a pause. Right. Maybe even, even greater what the Sassemist was saying, that we don't say the bracha because it's been on the Perhaps that's the very underpinnings of what the Seder is, is once we reach that realization. Very, very fascinating. Let's take another, another organic substance of the Seder. Haroi says, Right, so now, the, the problem is like this, is, um, is that um, actually uh, um, uh, Dr. Huberfeld mentioned this to me, the, uh, um, uh, an idea to me the other, the other year, and I want to just bring it into, into focus. I don't know if everybody's familiar, I'm sure everybody's by now tasted or at least seen the Charoises flavored ice cream from Ben and Jerry's. You know, and you have to think to yourself, what kind of inhumane people are these? You know, here you have cement, you know, and talking about people, you people spending, you know, 23 hour days lugging blocks. And, yeah, and you're going to make ice cream out of it? You know, it's like, you know, really, how insensitive can you be? But perhaps it's not insensitive because actually if you do a little bit of this, this I wasn't taught in, um, in, in school, but... The Gemara actually descri discusses whether charosis is a mitzvah or not. And the Gemara says there's two reasons for, for charosis in the first place. Reason number one, my mitzvah, Rabbi Levi Omer, it's the memory of an apple. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't remember any apples in Egypt. Right? So what's the tapuach? Rabbi Yochanan Omer, that's the one that we taught in, in day school. Is it's, it's to remember the plaster, to remember the cement. 
You need to make it. Um, you need to make it sharp because of the apple. But sorry, it also needs to be of a thicker substance because of the cement. So you have to have both elements in this. Um, by the way, this is one of the few times the Gemara actually goes into the recipe of something um, about what the content. And just FYI, if you take a, if you Google charoses, the first four pages will, will almost without exception is just about recipes. So you know, there's, there's very you have to dig deep to find the Torah on the charoses. Um, so it's interesting. So we have two, over here two ideas. Two ideas. Well, the one we're more familiar with is that it is, in fact, the cement. But what's this, what's this tapuach? So, so the, what was that? Ah, so the Ra Rashi quotes a, uh, a, a posse in Shach at Shirashim, which says, Tachas tapuach ticha. That um, it was under the, the, the apple tree that I initiated. What's this referring to? So the, the Midrash in Shirashim says that what went on was that, you can imagine, the, the families were in back-breaking labor. They, wouldn't, they, had, they, they were at a point where they were psychologically impoverished. To the point where the men who are very logical about things says, why are we, do, why are we, why are we having children? Why are we bringing children into this kind of world? How can we sustain such a thing? Never mind the children just being thrown into the river. But there's no strength. There's, how can we even be parents in this, kind of, in this kind of climate? And it took the woman who had the foresight, who had the knowledge beyond the logic. Right? Men are very stuck in logic. The woman had the ability to be able to say that we can still do this. And they... Uh, and they and they enticed their husbands, they had children, and it says that because there was such a threat of the life of their children, they would go out into the fields and have their children under the apple trees. That would be the way that they would have it so they wouldn't be unnoticed by the Egyptians. So, that would, so w w embedded in the charoises is not only the cement of the servitude, but perhaps the apple or the idea of the way that we got out of it. Why? Is the, is the notion of the woman. There was, Okay, so, 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 so now, I, I, I wanted to take it one step further. Tosus adds something very interesting. Tosus says that there's an, additional, there's an additional layer of meaning over here. And that is, is that it is referring, it is also, it, it, it should also have, as uh, Tosus adds an active ingredient, and that is wine. Why wine, says Tosus, quoting Yerushalmi on this, um, over here. That Yerushalmi says that the wine is zecher, le, what's the wine, wine of memory for? Blood. Blood, says, says Yerushalmi. So you need to add into your charoises one, which is about blood. Now that seems to tilt the scales, right? Because we have, we have, the, we have the cement and then we have the apple, right? Which seem to be these, these, these two ideas in tension. And now the wine seems to sink the ship. But that's actually not clear over here, because what, what, what blood are we talking about? Okay, so there's, there, there's different bloods in Mitzrayim, but explicitly. There, there, was, there was the blood of, of Milah, there was the blood of the Korban Pesach, but there was also earlier bloods. What other bloods do we have? We have we have the bloods of the firstborn, but earlier than that even. We have we have the first maka was blood. The first maka was blood against the Egyptians. And there was another blood as well, if you got a little earlier in the servitude, which was the children's bloods. Right? Remember the oh, the, the, the blood of 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 Pharaoh bathing in the blood of children. So when Tosus mentions the Yerushalmi, in fact, this is a machlokes on the two, the Panei Moshe and the Korban Ha'eda, the two Mephoshim, classically on the Yerushalmi, argue as to what blood it is. Is it the positive blood or is it the negative blood? So once again over here, you have within the same food, within <coughs> the same item, you have the same tension. The tension of Tachas HaTapuach Aratich and the notion of this, the, the, the idea of cement. So when we eat this, there's a multiple dimension again, not just, not just of servitude, not just of, of, of freedom, but the two embedded so closely within one another. Very, very fascinating. 
a very fascinating idea. Um, and um, in fact, the Shulchan Aruch actually says that one should have it, one should have apple, and it should look like tit, and one should add wine. And the reason is, is because we try to incorporate all these ideas. So when you're going through this beautiful, um, sensual, enjoyable experience, at the same time you're experiencing all the different tastes, all the different pieces of, um, of what's, uh, what went on through the experience of Mitzrayim. The complexities of that. Wouldn't it be the, also the other thing that blood to That's why we don't have so many children. Mm -hmm. When you apply to Ben Israel. So to the fact that those who worked, Shevet Levi, Levi did not have that. Beautiful. So when the, when the Jews are standing there and standing there and they think it's bad, ultimately it's actually being flipped around to good. Beautiful. So yes, that was the extra point. That was the extra point. They, weren't, they didn't have the extra numbers. So actually, if you do the Cheshbon in the math, you'll see that Shevet Levi didn't grow as exponentially as the rest of Israel. Why? Because they didn't have to suffer to get the bracha of growing, which is why the two are embedded so closely and finally together. Evan? I go back to the original sin, because the, the apple was sure. the Right, so you're right. That, that's a, there's a whole deeper idea over here, which we need to keep aware of, is that there's the, we'll call it primeval sin, the idea of the nachash, and why it is that the apples over here as well. There's a bigger picture over here, which is, um, which, which is um, we should uh, spend time on. I'm not spending time on it at this point in time, but um, what I wanted to do is capture the tension, but you're absolutely right. There's, there's even greater depth than this. This is idea number, I think we're up to now, idea number four, maybe. So, Baron. Now, now let, let us, let us keep, keep count over here. Rabban Gamliel, right? Rabban Gamliel says this is the point where everybody says, okay, kids from, the, kids from the couch, whoever's hanging out in the kitchen from the kitchen, let's read it, let's translate it, let's do everything we need to. This is the most important part of the day. Rabban Gamliel says there was three things you need to say, and they are Maro, Pesach, and uh, Maro, Matzah, and Pesach, right? So you need to say all three of them. But the problem is, is, the way he says, the way he says it is, now, chronologically, folks, let's, let's think about it. What happened first? What happened was, the morrow is terrible. The matzah, now matzah can go both ways. Matzah is the bread of affliction. It's the bread of freedom. Okay, we'll put it in the middle. Pesach is certainly on the end, at the end of the day. Right? Pesach is, is the, end of, the end of the process. So why? Meaning, you're conveying to us the most important things and you put them out of order. Now, you might think alphabetical, right? <laughs> Let's try, you know, maybe it's alphabetical at the very least. But it's not really alphabetical, right? It doesn't work. The pay comes afterwards. So there obviously is an order, and he's not telling us what the order is. Why is it that the, the Maro comes later? So actually, this, just this week, I had the fortune of hearing from Rabbi Mansur, um, and he suggests something very fascinating, very, very fascinating. Um, and that is, is that we just read a few weeks ago in Pasha's Kisisa, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down from the mountain, and he has the, and this is this is the end of that second aliyah, where everybody by that at that point everybody is switched off. It's very, you know nobody's nobody's paying attention at this point in time except for the Balei Kriya who notices that it's the Kriya Torah for uh, Tanis, right? But in and amongst that, Moshe Rabbeinu asks some very profound questions, and one of the questions he says is, "Vayomer Harani no God, please show me your honor, right? Show me show me your honor. Let me let me see your honor in this world. So what's he asking for? What's Moshe been troubled by at this point in time? The honor of God. What does that mean? 
So the Gemara says, the Gemara Brachos goes on to say that there was actually a deeper question over here. He was asking, he says, he was asking the, the time old question which is called Tzadik Virala. The fact that how is it that the righteous suffer and that the evil do well, right? How, how, how is it? Show me your ways in this world. Harinos Darchecha is the, the previous pasuk which, which was expressed the same idea. Show me the way in which you act, interact with the world. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense looking at history. It doesn't make sense. Some views in the Gemara of Abba Basra go so far as to say that Eov was in fact Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? The, 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 the idea of, of Job, this, this conceptual man, lived in, sorry, not Moshe Rabbeinu himself, but lived in the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu. The theodicy, what is, what is called academically, of trying to understand how Hashem interacts with the world doesn't make a lot of sense. The Gemara in Brochus debates, in fact, whether Moshe Rabbeinu got an answer or not. The Gemara deb debates whether Hashem fully answered Moshe Rabbeinu or didn't fully answer Moshe Rabbeinu. And the debate really is, is, is there a way that humanity can comprehend the notion of theodicy at all? Um, what does the Pesukim say? What does the Pesukim say is the answer was? Hashem says, in the response in Pasuk Chof Gimel, What happens is, I'm going to put you in the Nikras Hatsur, I'm going to put you in this cleft of the rock, and I'm going to cover you, and I'm going to, when I let you see, all you're going to see is my passing. That I, that, I, that I already passed by, says Akash Baruch Hu. And you're not going to see my face. What does that mean? Chassam Sof has a, has, a, has, a, a, has a response in which he talks about this, and he says the following. He says that in history, one can really only understand God retrospectively. Here's a, a, an, example, an example which is, is so, so well captivated is, you know, a person's part of a book club, and, um, and they meet on a monthly basis, and they go through their book, and they discuss it, and... Um, uh, for, a particular, uh, for a particular book, you know, um, John walks in and he's sitting around the table and every area is going to review the book and say what they thought of it. And, and John, who's been a participant now for three and a half years, is on the gold star, gold star membership level already. And, um, and he, he, he gets up and he says, you know, I, I just found that this book was completely, um, completely lacking a plot. There wasn't, there wasn't a sense of continuity. There, it, 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 the, I, I, I would not recommend this book for anybody else. There was no, there just wasn't even a theme. It, it, it didn't connect, the whole, the whole thing didn't make sense. There was no ending. It, it, so, and then everybody else takes a turn and, you know, Jane and Susan and everybody goes around the table and they all have such wonderful reviews and they're going to read every other book this author has ever put out and they're going to recommend it to everybody else. It's a six star book, you know, and, and, and they come around the table and they come back to John and they say, John, were you reading the same book? And he says, yeah, I was. They say, can, can we see it? So he holds it up. It's the same book that they were just reading that reviewed for that month. And so the person who is, who is orchestrating the book club says, can I just see your copy? And, they, and he pulls out. And it turns out that his book starts on page 54. And the last three chapters are missing. It was a misprint. So he's, he started reading the book. And he didn't have the first 53 pages. And he doesn't have the last three chapters. So they say, John, you know what? Why don't you go home? Take this copy, take a, take a good copy, read the book and come back and, we'll, and we can discuss it. And, the next, and lo and behold, he, he sends an email to the whole group the next day. You know, I totally agree, rave reviews, it was wonderful. The point is, is that, as I says the Chasm Sofer, is that sometimes we don't have access to our Kodesh Baruch Hu only when we have the full picture. Because we live in the, the here and now. We live in 5775. And we have a perspective and we have a certain, we have a certain perspective of things and we have a little bit of a narrow gauge of history. We have our little thin slice of the pie. But lo and behold, history didn't start when we were born. Some people may think that. 
But in the end of the day, history did not start, the world did not start when we were born. The, year, the world started almost 6,000 years ago, and there's been a lot of history to get to this point. And in fact, we haven't got the last few chapters either. We don't have the full book. So when you look at the, when you look at the book and you ask to give a review, you say, well, it's, there's no plot, it's not continuous, it's, it, it's contradictory, it doesn't make sense. Says Akash Baruch Hu, it's Panala Yerog. You're not going to see me in history when you look at me frontally. You're going to only understand me if you look in the bigger perspective. We don't have the bigger perspective yet. Wait, wait, says, says, says the Pasuk. We went down to Mitzrayim. Look at the whole, the, the whole process. When you had to speak to those people in the process, it was terrible. I mean, you can imagine, this is genocide, this is, this is, there, were, there were children being murdered. It was terrible. The whole thing was an atrocious process. But say Chazal, that looking back at it, this was, there's different ways of, of describing it. The Medrash says it was the Kurabarz, it was the smelting pot. It was the way that we were, it was a necessary, necessary function of being formed. The Aruch HaShulchan talks about how, in fact, we only were able to understand the notion of servitude to God via servitude to another nation. We're only able to get our sense of nationhood through this experience. Meaning, in the experience, you wouldn't have understood it. When it's happening, you don't understand. Another example is, you know, a child, a child walks into the, into the doctor's office. And, I this idea from Ramayana Sur, beautiful idea. child walks into the, in, into the doctor's office, and, um, and, um, and, and this, the, this, this two-year-old who thinks the whole world is wonderful, in walks a person in a white coat, not always, happen, not always in, in all doctor's offices anymore, but a person with a white coat walks in with this long metal needle. And the child thinks that the, the mother is going to fend off this aggressor to protect her child. And in fact, instead of doing that, the child is held down by her mother, betrayed and in pain inflicted, which lasts for a few days afterwards. And the child, the, the child cannot understand this. Ten years later, the child, uh, 10, 12 years later, the child starts reading on the internet and says, you know, why is that I didn't get measles? What happened to the chickenpox? I've never heard about these things. I'm reading about them now. So the mom says, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Remember 13 years ago <laughs> when I was holding you down and you held onto the door handles on either side and you had to pull off your shoes in order to get you back into the seat. Remember that? That was your inoculation. Why? Because it took a little bit of time to understand what was going on. So it's a panala you roll. You can only understand it sometimes a little bit later. So therefore, therefore, says Rabban Gamaliel, how does it say to work? In order to be able to understand the Maro, you need to have the Pesach and Matzah first. You need to be able to understand the process of redemption. You need to have a bit of perspective. Then you say, oh, Maro, okay, okay, now it makes sense. You can't always dwell in the Maro at the time that you're going through it. That's what Rabban Gamaliel educationally switches the order to explain that that's the only way to access it. You take this one step further, and uh, maybe we'll just try to get in two more quick ideas here. Is famously, everybody asks, there's the Chacham and the Russia, and you know, in the end of the day, they're asking the same question. Let's give the guy a break. What's going on? What was God commanding whom? You. And then the Russia comes along and says, What's this for you? And we say, Ah, oh, you exclude yourself. Right, Kavon. Right, he says, He's not including himself. The Chacham wasn't including himself. Everybody asks this question, and there's the beautiful blue box and the art scroll, and everybody knows that answer, which is wonderful. But um, there's a beautiful Hasidic thought by the Ropshitzer, who says the most unbelievable idea, and that is the following. I was, I was bowled over, so everybody hold on to your seats. And that, and that is the following. The Gemara says that the, 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 the Chosam, the signet of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is MS, is truth. Right, so meaning, you know, we all have, you know, in those days where you'd have a signet ring and you'd put it onto the wax and 
the, the, and you'd, you'd put your emblem on it. So the emblem of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is MS, is truth. Says Rashi, why is that? Why is that? Rashi, this is, not, this is not Chassidus, Rashi says that the reason is, is because if you look at the word MS, you take the word MS, you take the letters that comes from the first letter of the alphabet, the last letter of the alphabet, and the center letter of the alphabet. Truth is something that you find wherever you see it, says Rashi. Truth is something which, wherever you turn to, it's substantiated because it's true. It speaks for itself. Whereas if you look at the word Sheker, Shin Kuvresh, those letters are one after the other. Sheker, falsehood, is only something, is, is an expression of something where you only see a narrow gauge of what's going on. Sheker can only be substantiated within a certain circumstance. And it's interesting that, that what, what often happens is, is that you can create all the alibis necessary for a particular story, but just give it a little bit of time, just give it a little bit of conversation, and usually it's very hard to substantiate that because you have to protect a certain bubble. And that's all that there really is, is the, the little world that you've created in the world of Sheker, because it's very little, it's very small. Emis is much more all-pervading. So if, if you take it back to, to what we had just beforehand, says the Rapshitz, a very fascinating idea. And that is, is that when, I, when the Chacham uses the word you, uses the word S Chem. You. Now notice that that is the word that includes the, uh, the, word, the letter Aleph and Taf, the beginning and the end, and the two center ones are Mem and Chof, the middle, the middle section of the Aleph base. Meaning, he's asking about you, but his sense of you, his sense of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu did was an all-pervasive one. He's asking, how did God interact with history as a whole? Come back to the Russia. What is his word? He says, Ma'avodazos lachem, lamed chof mem. Those are all consecutive letters at one point in history, only in the middle of the story. The Russia is the, the, the lack of information the Russia has is because he did exactly what Rabban Gamaliel told him not to do. Is he stuck at one point, one slice of the pie? That's all he's looking at. That's why it's Ulafi Shehoisi Es Atzmoi. What did he take out? The Aleph and the Taf. He doesn't have the first 53 pages. He doesn't have the last three chapters. And that's all he's asking. He's only stuck with one piece. That's why he says Lachem. One last, one last idea, perhaps, and then with us we'll end. If you do, go back to the end of the Agada. Nobody likes to hear words on Chadgadja. It's a travesty. <laughs> Every year, I have a tune I want to teach people on Chadgadja. Nobody's willing to listen. It's terrible. I feel like the Chadgadja really gets shafted. So, but in the end of the day, there's, there's one idea which, is, which, is, which really is worth worth considering, and that is the following. If you're to do, um, if you're to do a backwards and forwards in Chad Gajah, right, so we, we know that the goat, whatever it represents, it represents Israel, it's, it's, it's good, right, goat, goat is good. So therefore, if you're now, now let's, let's, do the, let's do the math. So, that means to say that who's the, ba the bad guy over here? The bad guy is that, that cat, right? So then, okay, but don't worry, the cat is going to be taken care of. There's the good dog, right? But then, unfortunately, the terrible stick in, enters the scene. So if you go, go backwards, you go bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, you know what happens? There's something very unfortunate which happens. Where's which side of, which side of, the, which side of, the, of the puzzle is HaKadosh Baruch Hu on? Doesn't work out, right? Does, this, this, so what's going on over here? So, you know, what are we supposed to learn from this? Says the Vilna God, no, of course, you have to understand things in perspective. The reason why that cat was eating the goat, the reason why that dog was biting the cat, was not because the dog was this, this knight in shining armor with a arm tail or whatever, however you, you put it. The dog is not doing it because he's altruistically seeking the word of God. You know why he's doing it? Because he's a dog and that's a cat. The reason why Paro was doing it was because he was a dictator and a dictator do, does certain things. But you know what happens? HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, if you look at history, you'll realize that the dog biting the cat, even though it's doing it because it's instinctual, is my doing. 
What you need to do is you need to take a bit of a bigger perspective and say, I'm going to look at the whole array, the whole array of history and everything doing, <coughs> doing what it does because of its natural inclinations in the end of the day creates the bigger picture that HaKadosh Baruch Hu kills the Malach HaMavis. Because that's the bigger picture. It's not good, bad, good, bad. History is much more complex than that. But the point is that within the history, you see HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hand. And that's how we end off the Seder, because that's how we begin the Seder. When we start off with the Karpas, where you don't see necessarily where it's going and how it's leading to, in the end of the day it's Chad Gajah, where Akash Baruch is in charge of everything. Thank you very much. I hope these ideas are very stimulating.